Hey, everybody, it's Michelangelo Caruso. Welcome back to another episode of the Talk to Me podcast. My guest today is Dr. Tom Nabity. How are you, Tom? Hi, Michael. Great. How are you? Good, thanks. It's good to have you here. I want to remind anybody that's watching that you can listen to this podcast on the Talk to Me uh, audio version, which is available on Podbean, iTunes, all the major platforms. If you happen to be listening to the audio version of this today, you can catch the video version on the Michelangelo Caruso YouTube channel. Comments are always appreciated. Thank you for your subscription. We have a very interesting session for you uh, right now because Dr. Tom and I had an unusual experience, probably not so unusual for you. I think you've done it hundreds of times, but it was my first time. I had my stem cells pulled in your office, uh, which is the, uh, the regenerative, what is the proper name of the clinic? Michigan Center for Regenerative Medicine. Thank you. And the it's website mouthful, is- mouthful, but it Googles well. And yeah, that's all that matters. And the website is regenerativemedicinemichigan.com. You're gonna to wanna to hear this interview, everybody, because uh, this is the future and it's huge. Uh, so just to frame this up, Tom, uh, I got a referral to your clinic through a mutual friend and came in to do the stem cell pull. And essentially uh, uh, you punch a needle into somebody's, the upper part of somebody's buttocks. We'll talk about that procedure in detail in a minute. Sure. And you pull, um, essentially pulling bone marrow from, from my ass, correct? <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose if, if you want to put it that bluntly, um, that, that's essentially what we do. I like to use the word harvest rather than- Thank you, harvest. Um, so it's <laughs> it a lot of so semantics. much nicer. Yep, it's a lot of semantics, but- uh, um, it's a bone marrow aspiration procedure or a bone marrow biopsy are the, are the two terms that are commonly known. And it's nothing new. It's a procedure that's been done for years for anyone needing a bone marrow transplantation. Okay. Um, but it's one of these procedures that's got, gotten a, a terrible reputation for being awful and painful. And when done with the right technique and with the right type of imaging and, and technology, I think you can speak to it better than anybody on how it actually feels. Yeah, I think too, it's got a bad uh, reputation for another reason, and that is uh, stem cell. There's another thing that's going on with stem cells, and, and forgive me, man, I'm, I'm going to be reporter mode, so I'm going to ask you all kinds of careful questions because I don't want to misspeak, but I'll tell you something. I posted that I had this done at your place because I wanted to do you a nice turn, and eight out of the 10 people that saw the post went into uh, this, this illegal stem cell procedure that I don't know if it's even authorized anywhere in the United States, a much different thing about creating babies using stem cells. Can yeah. you speak to that and why people get confused about it? Yeah, the stem cell term is a very broad term and it means a, a cell, you know, in a scientific fashion, a cell that can become other cells. So that, that's a very broad definition of a stem cell. That actually applies to both. That, that's something that I'm gonna do with my own body later, but it also applies to creating babies, yeah. right? Yeah, so there's, there's, uh, if, if you break it down, I, I like to comment on four different specific types of stem cells. So the first okay. is an embryonic stem cell. So an embryonic stem cell is an egg and a sperm coming together and forming one cell. And then that one cell becomes an entire human body. Um, so those embryonic stem cells are meant to become all the tissues in our body. They're extremely powerful. Um, in the late 90s, there was a lot of buzz around embryonic stem cell research. And yeah. Most all of that research has now gone to the side. Um, there's a few studies still going on, but very, very few because 
none of the research that went using those cells was able to produce useful tissue. Um, the cells were too powerful, too hard to turn off, became tumors, and, uh, and were not clinically applicable. Um, more recently, what we're using is what are called mesenchymal stem cells. So those are more differentiated, meaning that they've become certain types of, they can only become certain types of cells now in your body. And in particular, the cells that we're talking about, the mesenchymal stem cells can only become tissues that are mesenchyme. And, you know, that without going too deep into, into, into the weeds of, of the science behind mesenchyme and mes mesoderm, um, in our clinic, those are orthopedic purposes, things like cartilage and tendons and ligaments. And there's, there's three types of mesenchymal stem cells that are commonly discussed. One are umbilical cord mesenchymal stem cells. The other are mesenchymal stem cells that come from fat and mesenchymal stem cells that come from bone marrow. So umbilical cord mesenchymal stem cells, even though they're coming from a baby, it's a fully grown baby. So they're classified as adult stem cells. Um, those are donor when we're talking about using them in clinical application now. So the term for donor is something called allogenic. Um, and then the two other types that I mentioned, those that come from fat and those that come from bone marrow are what are called autograft or your own. So you're, you're using your own stem cells then to re-inject into you. That was um, the harvest that you did for me. So that was the harvest. So just to kind of recap, there's a, uh, 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 embryonic stem cells that are yes. egg and sperm. There's umbilical cord that are donor from a fully grown infant. There's autologous from fat and there's autologous from bone marrow. Um, right now in the United States for orthopedic purposes, um, the FDA only allows for using either your own fat or your own bone marrow. You can't use um, embryonic cells. Yep. You can't use umbilical cord cells outside of clinical research projects that are cleared by a IRB, an institutional review board. Okay. So before we get into the actual procedure, because I want you to talk people through it so they, they can appreciate what happened. And I'll, I'll give them my feedback too, because it was a very interesting thing to, I wouldn't say endure, it wasn't painful, or I, would, I wouldn't even characterize it as uncomfortable, but it was strange. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's not to say that you know, it would award people off. It was just an unusual experience. Why did we pull marrow from me and not fat? It's a great question. Um, I, I would be open to a discussion on anybody who chooses to use fat over bone marrow because we really don't have good science to say which one's better. Okay. In me, in where I'm at right now is your bone marrow is the manufacturing plant for these stem cells. Um, the fat is the storage, one of the storage locations. And it just happens to be an easy storage location to get to. So it's not the actual fat cells, the adipose cells, those yellow looking cells that have the stem cells. It's the blood vessel beds that are in the fat. And it just happens that you can aspirate out the fat and separate the fat from the blood vessels, from the blood cells very easily. So it allows you to, to, to find the stem cells relatively easily. Okay. The difference is that's, that's not all of the um, ingredients in this regenerative soup, so to speak, that comes from your bone marrow. And we don't know exactly which of the, those cells are gonna be most important. Um, so the, the cells that end up becoming blood cells, for example, are called 
hematopoietic stem cells, HSCs. Well, the fat doesn't have HSCs, but the bone marrow does. So it's all these other ingredients that we may or may not know exactly which are more important. Um, so for me, it makes more sense to go where everything's manufactured and where there's more ingredients. And let's store all that stuff so that when the research that I'm sure we'll get into plays out over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we're not saying, oh, darn it, I wish we would have gotten more cells because we didn't realize that it was um, the HSCs that were important, so to speak, for this treatment that's going to come on, on board in 10 or 15 years. Okay. So a spoiler alert for anybody watching, the, the end game of all of this is that, uh, and I'm 62 years old right now, that if I fall and break my hip at age 82 and I, can, and I have some of my own healing ability, uh, say maybe I can get to 70 or 80% on my own, that the stem cell re-injection would help me get to 100% uh, more likely than if I didn't do the injection later on. Is that the simple version? Great, great summary. Yes. Okay. So, um, so that's the idea. We're kind of planning ahead. And that's why it's called stem cell banking, that you actually put uh, whatever they pull in a safe place that's stored, and then you get it back and you pay rent on that space, which we can talk about in a minute. And then you get it back uh, when you need it. Um, why can't you pull stem cells from somebody after they've been hurt? Why, why, don't we, why don't I wait till I break my hip and then pull the stem cells? So you can, and I do think that option will, will still be there. Um, the two take-home points are two of many take-home points, but the two most important take-home points from the early research is that younger stem cells perform better than older stem cells, uh -huh. and your stem cells perform better than a donor stem cell. Because okay. the same question would be, well, why can't I just take somebody else's young stem cells that are my same blood type and use those instead. Okay. So, so would it have been better for me to have them pulled when, 20 years ago when I was 42? Correct. Yeah. The sooner you can get that done, the better. All right. But what we don't have is a time machine. You didn't have it available to you at 42. So right. you had it available to you at 62. So you did it at 62 rather than waiting until you're 85 and then using your 85-year-old cells. Okay. Very good. Let's talk about the process itself, which uh, you described very well. I don't think you need my help with this, but just to frame it up for you, uh, for people listening, uh, I kind of knew what part of my body was going to be assaulted. And Tom was very good. He had a very good bedside manner about it. He explained it. He answered all the questions in advance. Uh, he laid on a gurney or a cot of some sort. Uh, there's a couple people in there assisting Tom. Um, and then there's a, everything that you would expect to have happen when you get a shot. There's an anesthetic, then there's a needle. He's going to tell you about a diamond tip needle that went in. And then there's a, perhaps the most unusual part I thought was that that sucking or that vacuum, which you can probably describe better than I can. The whole process probably took what, five minutes, Tom, maybe less. Yeah. Yours was, very, yours was fast. That, yours was on the faster end. It's usually the process is somewhere between five and 20 minutes. Okay, so run us through it from the from the um, from the uh, the numbing agent uh, uh, through the final uh, extraction. Sure. Yeah. So um, the pelvis is the primary location we go into. You can go into any medullary bone, which are the long bones in your body, like your humerus, your arm bone, your femur, your leg bone. The pelvis just happens to be the largest and one of the easiest to access. So that's the one that we tend to go for. Yeah. You um, put a little X on my uh, on my, my haunch, I think. Yeah, so we use an ultrasound machine or a, a, an x-ray machine called a fluoroscope 
to identify the spot on your pelvis called your posterior superior iliac spine, um, which is uh, kind of a, a large, broad target um, that's very safe. It's not okay. close to any major blood vessels. It's not close to any major nerve. So it's a, it's a good target into a good bone that's very safe from any you know, potential complications. Okay. Um, like you said, laying on your stomach, we find that target with either x-ray or ultrasound and then prep the skin. That's a, a very important step. Um, one of the major risks with this is infection. If you're to an infection in your bone marrow, that would not be good. So we wanna make sure we're using a sterile prep and then we wanna sterilize the field so that um, nothing uh, that's gonna be come in contact with your skin or that puncture site might have bacteria in it. Um, and then as you described, numb up the skin with a local anesthetic um, and then numb everything between your skin, that entry point in your skin, all the way down, down to the outside of the bone. Um, outside of the bone is called the periosteum. Yeah. You know, I've had a few shots, just like everybody else, getting ready to have uh, probably a COVID vaccine. Who knows? Um, but those needles are all shallow compared to this one. Uh, give us a feel for how deep the needle went. So the, it depends on the body size. So for you, it was your, your posterior superior leg spine is quite close to your skin. So it was probably a half a centimeter down is all. Uh, excuse oh. me, half, half an inch down, half an inch down is all, um, uh, to the outside of the bone, to that periosteum. Okay. Um, and then the periosteum is kind of like the shell of an egg. Um, and so we need to really numb up the shell of that egg. And then the, the, the second needle that goes in is called the trocar, and that's the bone marrow trocar. The one we use is called a jam sheety needle. And that, that's the one that has that sharp diamond tip on it. And that has um, to be numb. that has to be a very uh, strong tip because you're actually entering the bone, correct? Correct. Yep. So and you um, describe it as an eggshell. Are you saying that the bone itself is eggshell in texture, or the outside uh, of the bone only? Only the outside of the bone, and it's like a strong eggshell. It's not like a, a, a thin eggshell, but it's just that once you get through that strong eggshell, it's soft on the inside. The bone okay. marrow is soft, so okay. you just have to get through that that uh, outside core. And then advancing is easy. Now, I happened to attend with the redhead, and I watched the procedure after I had it done. And I watched, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a thumb screw. I don't know if that's a thumb screw, but a, like a turning mechanism like this. And you would actually turn, like, like the, turning a drill bit by hand. Right. It yeah. looks a lot more worse than it, than it felt. How much pressure is involved there? So it depends on the it depends on the patient depends on the client. You have good bone um, density, so getting through the eggshell cortex for you was not easy. Um, some of my older patients, it is quite easy, and I don't have to put as much pressure. Uh, so it has to do with how osteoporotic you are. If you have more osteoporosis, thinning bones, it's much easier to get in. Okay. Um, if you have good strong dense bones, it's harder to get in through that that eggshell. All right. um, some people will actually use a power drill. Um, I feel like the noise and, and the, and the, you know, including the power drill just raises the anxiety level. Um, but it's, it's easier to, to go through with a little bit of a, a power drill. So anybody that uses one, I wouldn't fault for doing that. Okay. I just prefer, I just prefer the hand, the hand technique. All right. And then once the, the, the hole is made, I'm sure you call it something different than the hole, but once, oh. once the, <laughs> once the puncture is made, yeah. you start pulling, um, what looks like blood, but it's actually blood marrow, break marrow, yeah. break that down for me. What is it exactly? So it is, that's exactly, it's bone marrow. Um, it has the exact look as our, our blood does. It's a, a dark red. 
Um, I didn't know just like that blood. was an aha for me. I didn't know bone marrow was red. I don't know. For some reason, I thought it was white or yellow. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pulling it out, it's red. It looks you know very much like venous or, or uh, blood that's coming out of our veins. Okay. And how um, much do you pull? So for, for the extraction, for the harvesting, um, for uh, banking, we pour 60, 60 milliliters or 60 cc's, which is, you know, roughly the size uh, of the water that would fill this glass. Okay. Um, and then and I saw that the, the, that your, the people working with you, the uh, attendants, the nurses, whatever, mm -hmm. They, they labeled the, because uh, this is what's going to go to the bank, I assume, the, these, are they vials or test tubes? What are they? Correct. Large 30 milliliter vials. Okay. Syringes. And those are mine. I, I get to draw on them. It's better, to like you said earlier, to get your own back in the future. Yep. Um, so what, what they'll do with those is they'll take those to their lab and they'll put them in a centrifuge. Okay. Um, and then that'll separate that bone marrow and the very lightweight stuff will go to the top and the heavy stuff like the red blood cells will go to the bottom. Yeah. And they'll isolate the middle layer, which is where the stem cells live. Um, and then they'll put those stem cells into um, little like, almost look like uh, eyedropper, um, but they're uh, um, aliquots in a, in a vacuum sealed um, plastic uh, uh, container. Okay. Um, and then there'll be five different aliquots there. And those will go into the cryogenic freezing chamber um, where they will be stored forever until you ask them to dethaw them and mail them to you. So cryogenic is cold. How cold? So I, I believe negative 45 degrees centigrade or colder. But that would be something I would validate if I were you. So what, uh, I'm not good with centigrade Fahrenheit. Yeah, um, I, I don't know what that would be uh, Fahrenheit, but zero. I it's think down there, right? Oh, it's, I think it's lower than that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and we sent them, or you do business with, and, and, and therefore by proxy, I, I'm doing business with a company called Forever Labs. Is that the name of the place that's Correct. banking them? Correct. Yes. Okay. And where are they located? So they uh, are headquartered out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, they have a couple different bio repositories that they work with. Um, the primary one, I believe, is still in Missouri. Um, and these bio repositories are, um, they have certain benchmarks that they have to meet uh, to make sure they can go without power for long periods of time. I believe it's at least 30 days. Okay. Um, so that if there's some sort of natural disaster that cuts power, that your cells will still be safe. Um, and then they try to put them in places that have low seismic natural disaster activities. So, you know, don't put them somewhere where an earthquake might happen or a right. hurricane might happen. Um, and this one that's in uh, uh, Missouri is bunkered underground so that, you know, should a tornado come, it wouldn't wipe out the facility. Okay. And I mentioned earlier that, that I am actually paying rent now on this weird safety deposit box, like at a bank. Yeah. Only it's a stem cell bank. And uh, I can't remember what we're paying, but it wasn't inexpensive. Do you, do you remember the rates or the general cost? Yeah, so it's $250 a year. $250 a year? Correct. Okay. So I started running the numbers, talking with the redhead about it. And we're like, well, $250, and we both did it, $250 a year for 20 more years or 30 more years. Who knows what it's going to be? But then what, what price to not have your hip work 
again and to be you know hobbled by not being able to walk the last 10 or 12 or 20 years of your life it, it became like a really good health insurance policy in my mind is that how most people are thinking of it that's exactly yeah, and that's exactly how most people are thinking of it that's how when the company is talking to potential clients that's how they um, propose it is it's it's an investment just like any financial investment there's risks that it may not play out but the early studies certainly show that and the animal studies show that these cells have clinical efficacy and the younger stem cells do better. Yeah. And it's going to be a, a, a very high likelihood that there'll be clinical applications for these cells for anything that's globally termed an age-related disease, types of things that happen to us as we get older, things like heart attack recovery, stroke recovery, Alzheimer's disease treatments. Just a, the example you brought up, fractures, bone fractures, compression fractures, broken hips, those sorts of things, it, I, I do honestly believe there's a, a clinical application that will be there for me when I get there at that age. Alzheimer's too, huh? Yeah, a lot of a lot of good research going into dementia and Alzheimer's dementia. Okay. Uh, here's a stupid question. Um, 20 years on, they've got my stuff. It's allegedly labeled with my name. They got a good filing system. There's no clerical error. How do I know I'm getting my stuff back? That's, I mean, it's this whole, you know, not knowing that they have a good system where they're going to be able to ver validate your cells or yours, and they've been labeled properly and stored properly. Um, uh, that's a good question. I don't know if they do any kind of genetic testing on the cells before giving them back to you. I know they do a test before freezing them to make sure that there's viable cells right. um, in the sample. Um because you don't want to freeze them for 30 years and then dethaw them and say, oh, there's no viable cells. It looks like we had a bad sample for this past 30 years. Yeah. Um, so they do, do do a cell analysis, but that would be a good question to follow up with the company to see when it comes time to use them, do they do any validation that makes double, you know, double checks that their filing system was correct. Yeah. And not to cast any shadow on, on the company's integrity. Clearly I trust them. I wouldn't be doing this, but we're all just going through this for the first time. So, uh, there, they are reasonable questions. I'm assuming they could also check uh, blood type pretty easily, but I think we'd be looking for more of a match than just a positive right. in my case. Yeah, no, you'd be looking, you'd be looking for genetic markers. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe HLA. What's that? Maybe that testing has yet to be discovered. No, it's the same testing you would do, like for if you're looking for a bone marrow uh, donor, like somebody okay. that's a match. So we'd be able to tell whether it's you know 100 percent match. Okay, well that's you. Okay. Well, it's fascinating. Uh, it's one of those things that you hope you never have to, you know, uh, have because that would mean that you had some sort of um, health issue. So not necessarily. Issue. Yeah, not necessarily. So there is there is some really uh, interesting um, research using rats and mice were um, reinfusing these cells in periodic intervals throughout their life. Asymptomatic slows the aging process. So if you can take your 62 year old cells. And right now we can't do what's called culture expand in the United States, but there's other areas of the world where you can and do it safely and do it right. Um, where then you can have an essentially an infinite supply of those 62 year old cells. And then let's say every six months infuse a million stem cells into your bloodstream. And those cells think they're 62, even though maybe you're 70, 75, 80, 85. Same idea. So I banked my 39 year old cells. And then the same idea would be I can for you know forever infuse 39-year-old 
Comnavity back into myself, these cells have about a six month efficacy window. So in my head, it would make sense to do an infusion every six months. And when you do those in rats and mice, they age slower. Wow. Um, so that's the, so it, it not, it's not necessarily just catastrophic coverage. There can be, um, and, and I believe fairly soon, there will be some clinical applications to use it to manage the aging process, not just treat the aging diseases. Excellent. So, so what are the long-term ramifications of everyone living a lot longer? Those are great ethical dilemmas. Yeah, that's far beyond my um, scope or my, my knowledge. But yeah, you got to look at retirement age. You know, I heard a funny quote the other day. Eating that the world, right? If all of us ate, ate three portions of vegetables a day today, there wouldn't be enough vegetables. <laughs> So, I mean, those uh, are scary things to think about, true, yeah. Well, like, I've, I've always said- 34% longer. Every problem has a solution and every solution creates another problem. So uh, I think it's great that the stem cell science is coming along and if it causes some other problems, let's go to work on those Yeah. Uh, and uh, make the world a better place. Help people feel better longer. It's not, it doesn't sound like a bad goal to me. I, yeah, I agree. I think my, my, my goal, my vision is- uh, is uh, not going to be the problem. There'll be solutions to whatever problems that creates. Let's talk quickly about your clinic before we go. You're actually a pain doc, uh, and somehow this is like you brushed up into this in, into this little thing that you did for me. Uh, tell everybody about your practice. Yeah, so I'm a, a physical medicine rehab physician, which is like a non-surgical orthopedic um, doctor. Treat and evaluate knee problems, back problems, spine problems. Um, and then I did additional training on interventional pain, so more advanced procedures. And you know, for the for the past fifteen years, I've been doing um, a lot of pain blocks, so cortisone injections, blocking nerves, maybe doing ablation procedures for nerves, some minor surgeries. But it was all focused on block the pain, block the pain, stop the pain. Um, you know, and in reality, pain is a privilege. Pain's our body's way of saying something's wrong. Yes. But if we don't like the option to fix it, which is typically our surgical option, okay, well then let's block the pain and just you know modify our activities so we can still have a good quality of life. Yeah. About 2015, had a patient introduce me to, you know, what about these stem cells, doc? Is that an option? I don't want a knee replacement. I appreciate the cortisone injections, but I know the cortisone injections probably aren't good for me long-term. And that really turned me into looking into doing stem cell therapy, using people's own stem cells to treat their orthopedic conditions. And yeah. And then uh, opened up this uh, regenerative medicine clinic in 2017. I never heard of pain referred to as a privilege, but it makes sense. Yeah, that's my line. I use it with patients all the time because if I'm going to take their pain away, I want them to know they still have a problem. And, so and, uh, in the pandemic, a lot of people started to practice distance medicine. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Are most of your clients local to the Rochester area in Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we, we get other, we get people that travel from distances, but 90% of who we treat is in our community. Okay, cool. Well, I appreciate you doing this today to help educate people about it, even if they're, you know, tuning in from other places in the country or other parts of the world. Uh, the website, everybody, for Dr. Tom Nabity, that's N A B I T Y, and I'll put all this in the show notes, is regenerativemedicinemichigan.com. Uh, Dr. Tom, I really enjoyed um, talking with you today. I enjoyed the process and learning more about myself. I really appreciate all you're doing to help people. Well, thank you. I appreciate you letting me uh, 
um, on your show and, and helping spread the word. My pleasure. We'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you.